Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, that's rocksolidministries.org. Our guest today is Tim Burgess, minister at First Christian Church in Corning, Arkansas. At the time of this recording, Beth and I are conducting our eighth revival with the church in Corning. We began coming here in 2009, and that was right before Tim came to be the preacher here. So we're missing that first year. But since you are a tent-making preacher, uh, that is working a secular job as well as preaching, we've had precious few times to just sit down and talk. And I'm hoping to learn much more about your life and ministry today, Tim. So I'm going to just turn it over to you, Brother Tim. Tell us your story. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Um, I'm Tim Burgess. I've been in the ministry, just started my 39th year. Um, I got a few, uh, a few, uh, I guess you would call life moments, but they sort of mix in with ministry. But I grew up in the church at Central Christian Church in Covington, Tennessee. My parents were very strong Christians. Dad was an elder. One of my older brothers has, is a minister also. He's been a minister a couple years longer than I. His, his name? Dennis Burgess. Right. He, he's down in Georgia. And um, grew up in church. We didn't know anything else you were supposed to do on Sundays <laughs> and Wednesday night other than church. So I was practically born on the front pew almost. Came <laughs> two months early, premature. And... You know, I just, I've been in church all my life. I probably haven't missed no more than a dozen Sundays in 61 years of life. So that, that's just the way we were raised. Mom and Dad raised us in the Lord, and we, we try to follow up in their footsteps. Um, growing up, I, I was, I, as I said, I, was, I, was, I weighed three pounds and seven ounces when I was born in 59 a lot of babies didn't make it at that weight back in those days. So I was small, and I also had a speech problem growing up. Uh, I stuttered very badly. That's so hard for me to believe now, knowing you now. Yeah, it, it's... I just didn't have confidence. I, I didn't like talking in, in front of people. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember... Gerald Gibson, who at one time was the president of Mid-South Christian College, he was doing our revival in my home church, and he came to supper with us, and, you know, he asked who I was, and I said, Tim, which is short for Timothy, of course, and he said, hey, you might be a preacher someday. I just sort of looked at him and laughed. <laughs> <laughs> so, number one, I'm not a very good talker, and number two, I just don't know if I want to go that direction. But anyhow... Mm -hmm. Through lots of encouragement, um, you know, I, I was like any other teenage boy growing up. Uh, I tried to stay on the straight and narrow, but it was it was difficult at times. I always stayed in church, and I had a best friend that we'd been best friends since we was five years old, Dave Locke. He has had a lot of influence in my life, and we were best friends. He's 12 days older than me, and hopefully we will continue to be best friends the rest of our earthly life but but he also is a big influence as I said and just different ministers growing up uh, uh, Kenny Vaughn was my minister during my high school years 
he was a big influence and he was part of the reason why I went to Johnson Bible College all the, at the time, but also because my best friend Dave Locke was going there. Uh, I worked one year before I went into Bible College. And what's funny about that is, that, like I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix in some life moments. Well, that's what we want. And this one life moment happened between I was the age of 12 and 13. I was in Boy Scouts. And I remember going to Millington, Tennessee Naval Base to, to, um, to swim and pass my swimming test to get my swimming merit badge. Well... My logic at 13 years old or 12, whichever it was, my logic was, okay, get close to the rope where if you have trouble, you can grab the rope. Sounds like pretty good <laughs> logic. So I jump in one end because you had to swim halfway down and back. And I done fine halfway down, but on my way back, I started to struggle. And as I struggled, I thought, okay, the rope's there. Well, I grabbed the rope and the rope went down with me. So I was, they was about to change my name to Bob because that's what I was doing. <laughs> and I, I was really struggling. Uh, and if it wasn't for a sailor that was talking to our scoutmaster and happened to see me struggling, I probably would not be here today. Really? He threw a big lifesaver to me and pulled me in and I'm still here. So wow. that was a big life life changer. At least two times that you shouldn't be alive. Your birth and it, yes, yeah. yes, yes, and, and which I did learn how to swim. I, I still know how to swim, but that time that was that was a a huge life moment. But as I go get through teenage years, um, I remember my first sermon. I was I think eighteen, maybe nineteen. Because I worked a year out of high school before going to Johnson Bible College. And I worked in a factory just trying to make money so I could go to college. But of course, as any teenager, you make a little money, you want to enjoy it. <laughs> and I remember seeing this car at a Chevrolet dealership. Um, it was a Cutlass Supreme with a T-top. Oh. Back in the back in the mid to late seventies, those were very popular. Oh yeah. Oh, I fell in love with that car. I, I I looked at it on Friday, and I was going to sign papers on Monday. Well, I went by there Saturday after it was closed. I just wanted to look at it again. Couldn't find it. I thought that's not a problem. I'll I'll come back and see it Monday morning because I work second shift, which is three to eleven, so I had time in the morning time to go see it but I went up there on Monday morning to see it and several people searched for that car to this day nobody knows where that car went <laughs> nobody knows where that car went and a month later I enrolled at Johnson Bible College and went there and I mean Tell me what you want to tell me, but I think that was the good Lord telling Tim, you don't need no car. You need to you need to do something bigger and better. So went to Johnson Bible College the fall of 78. And first year was pretty tough. I had never lived away from home. Oh, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed college life. 
that was fun. No rules from parents, you know. We didn't get in any bad trouble, but still, you know. First semester, I didn't pass too many classes. <laughs> Second semester was a little better, and then, you know, as I got, uh, it took me five years to graduate. Graduated in 83 with a Bachelor of Science degree in preaching. I could have went a Bachelor of Science in missionary, but I chose to go preaching instead of missionary. But I can remember, and I still have my stuttering problem during this time, and I can remember several college, I mean, several married students that I had homiletics with and stuff like that, and, and they wouldn't be mean, but they said, you know, Tim, maybe you ought to think of a different profession to go in. You probably shouldn't go into preaching since you do have trouble speaking to anybody, especially a crowd. You know, that to me that's interesting because... Uh, and I understand they weren't being mean. They're trying to actually thinking they're being kind. Yeah. But a lot of times we interject our own ideas and, and try to direct somebody who's following God's direction. God takes that which is the least yes. and uses it. And we forget that. We think, well, that, uh, I don't believe that fella can preach. Yeah. And he's just the one God wants. Yes. And it, and it was like that through through college. And, I remember doing my senior sermon. Um, I remember I preached it on missions. My parents were there, and and you know there's what 400 students at the time, and I didn't preach that long, maybe 15 to 20 minutes. I really don't think I stuttered very much during my senior sermon, which shocked me and everybody else, I guess. But I got through college. Um, I passed. I wasn't an A student. I wasn't even a B student, but I passed. That's all that matters. I got my degree. But it took me a little while to find my first ministry. I remember I was I was trying to get a little church so that at that time the, my wife that I had married could finish school. And something odd happened, and it goes with the stuttering problem is a guy that I went to school with a couple of grades older. I'm not going to mention his name. But he had told this church about my speech problem and told them to have patience with me and stuff like that. And I went to try out at this church in East Tennessee, in, in Maryville, Tennessee. Small church, probably 30, 40 people. And one of the elders got up and sort of introduced me and I almost walked out because I felt so horrible because this is some of the wordings that he said. He said, this is Tim Burgess. Tim has a speech problem. You need to be very, very patient with him. Oh, my. And just stuff like that. And it almost felt, I felt like he was almost saying that I was a, a mentally challenged person or something like just because you stuttered some meant you was almost like a bad person or maybe not fit to do, do mm -hmm. it. So, yeah. but I preached there and, it, you know, it didn't come out. I mean, I, I, I didn't get to church or whatever, and I, I don't re re really remember why. Didn't make any difference. But that, you know, that, that was sort of hurtful. And like I said, the guy that said it, he didn't mean it, and... I haven't seen him since, and I, I, I'd love to see him, you know, but anyhow. But it took me a little while, about a year after I graduated, to find my first ministry, and it was in um, 
Harlan, Kentucky, southeastern Kentucky, oh, coal mining country. I know where that. That's before they had the four lane highways through there, isn't it? Or did they have? No, they they had four lane part of it. Right. But we I was, can't imagine what it was like before that well, around Harlan. Really, we was outside of Harlan. We was in Ross Point community. Okay, it, it was called Ross Point Church of Christ. My first ministry, and um, it was just you know I, I'm thankful to the Lord that they gave me a chance. Uh, I preached, <laughs> and back in those days, my first year or year and a half, well, probably my first year, because I was only there about 18 months, and my first year, I preached manuscript sermons, and that's fine for some people, but I think I bored them to death, <laughs> <laughs> but at second, or I don't know if you would call it that, no, this is basically my, my third life moment, the first being almost drowning the second thought I was going to buy me a car and it didn't happen. But this third time here, I, I, I went to church to preach that morning and I took the wrong folder. Oh! I opened it up and it wasn't a sermon. I don't know what it was. I have no idea what it was, but I know it wasn't a sermon. I closed it up and you know what I said? I said, let us pray. And <laughs> I knew, okay, Lord, I've been dependent on you. You need to help me out. So for some reason, I went to 1 John chapter 1 when I preached that first chapter. And the people said that was the best sermon I ever had. And that's the day that the Lord showed me. And that's the day that he, I guess you could say, corrected my stuttering. Because I, I finally felt I had confidence. That's what my problem was. My problem wasn't, you know, just stuttering to be stuttering. My problem was I was not confident to talk in front of people. And right. That was that was that 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 changed my life right there. It really did because I stopped writing manuscript sermons. I started writing. Sermon outlines. I didn't need a bunch. I just needed a outline to give me certain points, and I have been doing it that way ever since. As I'm talking, uh, Tom can see this pen I've got is four different colors, and I've used this system my whole ministry. It's got red, green, black, and blue, and I use black for my main points and introduction and conclusion. I use blue for my for my. Um, now, I use black for the introduction and conclusion. You better get it right or you'll yeah, pick the wrong <laughs> I, Yeah, then I get the wrong name. Blue was for my main point or, or for my sub points. Green was always for an illustration or a joke or a story. And red was always scripture. That's amazing. Now, do you still handwrite all your sermon notes? Most of them, yes. Most of them. See, I couldn't do that because I couldn't read my own writing. Yeah. But. But that's a that is a really neat idea. And if I don't use this pen, I will use highlighters. Like if I type my sermon out, I would right. use highlighters maybe. But I, I've just sort of I've stuck with that, and it helps me to know where I'm at in my sermon. You know, I think if, all it, if it's all it, yeah. one if it's all one color ink, you know, I'm sort of looking around, saying, "Okay, what's going on here?" <laughs> so, you know, I don't do that in a sermon outline, Tim, but I actually do that when I'm preaching from a large text that's all together. I, I have multiple colors of pen, so at certain points, if I'm going to 
if I'm going to read a, a section of scripture, uh, that is underlined in one color, and then the next section is in a different color. So that's how I use that that type of idea. But that's a great idea. That's helpful. Maybe someone's listening. That could, and if they use their computer, they can change the colors on yeah, the computer. Yeah, that's that, true. That, that that's it true. would be a very helpful idea. That's true. Yeah. Um, but you know, that that was the start of my of my ministry. Um, I was ordained. I'm sort of backtracking just a little. I was ordained March the sixth, nineteen eighty three. My minister when I was a teenager came and ordained me, Kenny Vaughn. I uh, haven't seen him probably in 20 years. Probably, it might have been 25 or 30 years, but, but he was he had a big influence on my life. Where was your ordination service? It was at my home church in Central Christian Church. Okay, Covington, so he Tennessee. came back to Central Christian, yes. and that's yes. uh, that's in Upper West Tennessee. That's uh, that's between Memphis and Dyersburg. Right, so, pretty pretty close to the Mississippi River. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not too far, not too okay. far. Okay, but um, but once I, I started, I had I had a pretty good ministry in in Ross Point Church of Christ, Harlem, Kentucky. I had to work a, a second job also because they were a small church that could not afford full-time. So I worked for a TG&Y department store. And I was there, about, you know, the rest of the time that I was the, the minister there. And I wanted to get into full-time where I didn't, want, didn't have to work a second job. So got a church in, outside of... Charleston, West Virginia, and Cross Lanes, West Virginia, which at that time it was the largest non-incorporated town in in America. But Mm. it was Tyler Mountain Church of Christ. I was there for a couple of years. Uh, Had a good ministry there. Um, Was full-time. That's the only job I did. I was learning still, and, you know, it was was good. How, How old would you have been about when you went there? When I went to West Virginia, I was probably 27 to 28. Okay. And I was I was only there 18 months also. Um, it, it was nice in, in West Virginia, but it, it wasn't it wasn't the the South. So I, I found out about First Christian Church in Adamsville, Tennessee, and uh, sent a resume and you know did a trial sermon and everything and. I was there for five and a half years. That that was a very good ministry. That was a small town, but everybody, well, I say small, but it was probably between two, two and 3,000 people. That was the hometown of Buford Pusser. Walking most, tall. Walking tall. Most people knows about him. And, and it's just 30, 30 minutes north of where uh, Brother Greg and I and our, our wives live now in Corinth, Mississippi. Yes, We're around yes. the state line there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It, it was not too far from Selmer and Savannah and north of Corinth, about 30 miles. So, um, nice area, you know. Had a good ministry there. I probably could have stayed there. I probably could have still been there but now. I don't know. But for some reason, we wanted a different challenge. And we decided to look at a church in, in um, Kansas City, Missouri. Wow, and that's, that's a big That's a big change from yeah. two or 3,000 to probably a half a million or more, probably metropolitan areas, probably a couple million. But um, that was a very, it wasn't a challenging ministry. It was a fun ministry because the first, the first few ministries I had was a, what what I would call a, a healing ministry for the church. 
they, they went through some difficult situations, whether it was from a, the past minister or some of the leaders or just some situations that church go through sometime. And we was like a, a healing. It was a healing time for the church. And so, but the church in, in Kansas City, it was, it was um, Eastside Christian Church. It was just north of the stadiums where the Royals and the Chiefs play, about a mile and a half, you could hear the wow. crowd roar from our house. So, oh. But that, that was a good, a good ministry. We, I, um, they, they told me we want you to visit people and bring people in, and I visited people all over Kansas City, Independence, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas. You know, the one that later said, where are you finding, the, uh, where are you finding <laughs> these people's homes at? I said, there's a thing called a map. <laughs> and I, I kept it in my car, and I, I went wherever. And there was a couple of times I was in places I didn't need to be, be just because it wasn't nothing bad that I was doing. It's just because even police say you shouldn't be in this area after dark. Right. <laughs> and I was there a couple of times. But anyhow, had real good ministry there. Had had lots of um, lots of people being baptized. The, the church did did grow. They were probably 40 or 50 when we got there. Um, we probably fluctuated and plateaued around 70 to 75. Um, still a lot better than what they had done for a long time, but fine people over there, fine, fine people. And that, that was a good ministry. And then I went um, to my next ministry, which was in, it was in Arkansas. And Bill Griffin and I, I've known Bill practically my whole life. He, I can't remember what year he passed away, but uh, he and his, I, I've known his family for many, many years. I remember going to church camp with Larry and when Bill was a minister there at Park. And, and Larry is Park a president uh, yeah. of, of Mid-South Christian College that, yes. we're, that we are associated with in our ministry. Yes, that's and true. And Larry has been interviewed on this podcast as has his son and, and Bill's grandson and bill's name comes up oh, yeah. more often than you can imagine especially when i'm in the mid-south yeah uh and i was at his funeral and i believe you were too yeah, yeah well, and the lines were so long to see the family uh yeah. he was just a uh, a very influential man for christ in the mid-south yeah i mean the thing about bill is everybody knew him he was so he was a he was an old country boy he's a farmer and or, he yeah. was from this next church i'm gonna talk i'm gonna tell you about a, a small town, 700 people, in Wiener, Arkansas. W-E-I-N-E-R. What a name. <laughs> what a name. It, it came from a, a train conductor's, which was a German name. It, it should have been pronounced Wiener, but I guess over time they, they called it Wiener. And I had a, that's the best ministry I've ever, that I've had since I've been in the ministry. Um, it was just, uh, they... Had lots of lots of kids. Um, you know, I remember when I first saw this, the name of that church. I thought, well, I don't know. I wonder if I should send my resume to Wiener, Arkansas. <laughs> and but the thing about it, that that was Bill's hometown. That's that's where uh, he was born and raised. So and he contacted you. He knew the church very well. He, right. I mean, matter of fact, he was he was preaching at the church until they found somebody, which I was that next somebody. So I like to say I've known Bill practically all my since I was about twelve years old. So they they knew him very well. I mean, the, some of the people in the church was Kinderville. 
you know. So, right. but but you know, he, he had a big influence in my life. Bill did just as teenage years and stuff. But he definitely helped me. If Bill told a church that's a good guy there, you need to get him. Most of the time, they got it. That's true. Now, if Bill said, uh, you know, I don't know about him, they probably wouldn't look at him. That's that's the kind of influence that Bill Griffin had because everybody respected him, and and he was such a he was such a humble servant. In, in, in so many in so many ways, and his wife Dorothy, she's a she's a sweetheart. I, yes. I saw her a couple of years ago when one of our church members here in Corning passed away, and that's the first time I've seen her. I think since Bill's funeral, and and she always gives me a big hug. It's wonderful family, wonderful family. But that was a very very good good ministry. I was at in Wiener, Arkansas, Wiener Christian Church for um, ten and a half years. I was mm-hmm. there longer than any minister they had ever had as far as that many years. We had lots of kids. I can remember when I tried out there, this one thing they said they wanted, we want young people. And we got them. We, I, was, I, was basically a, I was basically a youth minister, senior minister. Because, I mean, there were times on Wednesday night we would have 40 to 45 teenagers. We had it at the house for a long time, and it got so big we had to go to the church with it. Kids liked it at the house just because, you know, when you're at sure. the house, you can sort of be yourself. At church, you got to be more careful. Right. So we had we had lots of kids. Had a lot of families join that church. Um, just wonderful people down there. Had some 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 good good services and just um, a lot of people with some good talent and everything and. Like I said, I was there ten and a half years, and um, wonderful, wonderful ministry. And some of the kids that I had in the youth group since I've been here in Corning have called me, and I have, I have done several of them's wedding ceremony. Really? And so, um, thankful, thankful for that. But that that ministry sort of ended. It was nothing really negative on either church leaders or myself. It was just some things were taken out of context somewhat. And anyhow, at that time, my wife that I had then, she was getting tired of the ministry, and it it comes to a very low part of of my life, basically. Um, Me and my wife at that time separated, and then we were separated about a year, and then we did get... A divorce, and that that year was probably the roughest, toughest year of my life, because when you've been married twenty six and a half years, you think it's going to last forever. Sure. Well, for whatever reason, it didn't, and I resigned from the church at, at Wiener to save my family. But then, right after I resigned, is when we had the separation, and then I, I knew about the Corning Church, and I called up here, and they told me to come preach one Sunday, and I've been here ever since, and First Christian Church here in Corning, we, is similar to my first ministry, I, I've, I've had to work a secular job, I work at Nestle Pre- Prepared Foods in Jonesboro, I've been there 11 and a half years. How, how far is that from here? That's 50 miles one way. And and you work like this week, you've got to go down five all five days. Yeah, I, I, I work 12 hour shifts, so... I put anywhere from 36 hours to 60 hours a week, so that that makes that makes it for a long week. 
But you do what you got to do for your family. Yeah. And the main reason I have stayed here in Coin, I did, like I said, I got divorced. Two years later, I met a lady that goes to church here, Sean. Me and Sean got married. We've been married almost 10 years now. And have two kids. They're both grown. Had to baptize both of them when they were young. Um, my daughter Emily had a chance to do her wedding ceremony last year. Uh, they had to postpone it because of the pandemic. And two mm. weeks after they postponed it, she called me and said, Daddy, can you marry us? I said, I sure can. Because I, I wasn't supposed to marry him. It's supposed to be my best friend, Dave. But uh, he couldn't do it that spur of the moment. So we did a little family wedding at her husband, Thomas's dad's house. And, you know, they got married. And here in a few weeks, they're going to have the big the big ceremony. <laughs> oh, so even even though it's a year later, but they are. They well, are. every girl likes to have that. Well, most girls like to yeah. have, have that ceremony. Yeah. And this one, she'll get to wear her with her regular wedding dress and have all the pictures. And I'm gonna be in a tux. I'm the only one that's gonna be in a tux. So, you know, whether that's good or bad or indifferent, I don't know. Well, she's a beautiful girl. I remember when I first came after you had come here, yeah. she was outside playing basketball with you in the church parking lot. Yeah, yeah. She's, and a sweet girl. She's she's my sweetheart. Me and, me and my daughter are very, very close. My, my son, Todd, we're close too, but he's probably a little bit closer to his mom than he is me. And um, She is a surgical technician. She works for St. Bernard University, about to graduate and then go to PA school. Um, if you if you need somebody to do surgery on you, she's doing the call because she <laughs> loves doing surgery. I, I never I never expected that out of her. <laughs> Last I heard, she wanted to be a, a beautician or maybe a child psych, psych, uh, psychology or something. But then all of a sudden, she goes to school and becomes a surgical technician. So she loves it. So hopefully, she'll continue to do that for many many years. My son is still looking. At different things, he he's hoping to maybe go into the service and, and go to nursing school to, to be, become a nurse possibly. So both of them in the medical field. That's yeah, both of them in the medical field. So we'll just see see where that one goes. Well, you've been here in Corning now. How many years again? I've been here for eleven and a half years. Eleven and a half years, yes. and you've been like I said at the beginning of the podcast, you've been a tent maker. And apparently, with your job, you make you make a lot of tents in one week because yeah. <laughs> to, to to be able to do both. But but Corning is a small town, and interesting about Corning, people say, "Well, is it growing?" Well, Corning lost their Walmart about, several, about, about three years ago. Yeah, and and that normally they they may downsize or move outside of town, but Corning actually lost their Walmart and their Pizza Hut, and so the town itself is not doing extremely well as far as growth. And uh, future holds a new interstate coming through and probably going around it somewhere. Yeah, that's that's what they're talking about. So, so we just have to see. Like I said, we're a small church. Um, when I came here, I think we might have averaged 25, 30, maybe a little bit more. I know we had a friend day our first year here. I, I can remember the day it was because it was in... 10, 10, 10. <laughs> October the 10th, 2010. And we had like 75 people here, and they said that it's, that's the most people that had been in church here in probably 25 years. Really? So we gained several people from that. 
And just like any small churches, it's it's harder to grow a small church than it is any because you just don't have enough people. You don't have very many youth. We've only got one young person, and she's about to graduate high school. And it is just very, very difficult to to really grow the way you would like to grow because people would rather go to the bigger churches that has the gymnasiums and the multi-purpose buildings and youth ministers and stuff like that. Well, you know, Tim, what I... I've said, because I've spoken with a number of, of guys in the same situation on this podcast, and, and others who are in larger churches and growing in a different way, but I call you a frontline servant because you're on a front line in an area that a lot of people would not go to. You are ministering to a small group of people in a town that is not growing, and is, and, and for all intents and purposes, it looks like it's going the other direction. Yes. But you are here, and you are ministering to people. This morning at the revival, uh, you had a, you put a, a big sign out front. We had two men that just saw the sign and came into revival. Yeah. And one of them came forward with a decision and a prayer of need. And, and uh, that was, if, if you weren't here, would we have even had a chance to speak with these men and, and uh, have them stay for fellowship and, and, and visit with them over a meal? Uh, so this is something that I say, and we never know in a church of this size that there won't be somebody that you reach that nobody else would reach because nobody else wants to come to a situation like That's this, true. or so few do. Yes, that that person may in turn win win thousands or win somebody else who will win thousands. Yes. we never know. And the thing about it, Tom, is I know I've been. I remember I did a workshop at homecoming at Johnson Bible College one year. And there's a few of us doing it, but the title of the subject or the workshop was Success and Failure in the Ministry. And I, I asked him, I said, well, you mean talk about success or failure? Because I, I, I mean, I guess you could say I could see, I could, I have seen both. When it comes to number-wise, no, I've never ministered at a huge church. The biggest church I have ministered at was down in, in Wiener, Arkansas, and we like the most we ever got up to was 100 to 120 people. Right. The majority of churches that I've been in have been, most of them have been between 50 to 100. But then two of them, like the one here in Corning, has been has been less. And because of the pandemic, it, we're even less than what we uh, have been because of that. But, you know, as I look at, have I been successful or have I been a failure? Well... If I was to say I'm a failure, to me, that means you're saying God failed. No, God doesn't fail. That's right. Um, even though, and, and numbers are important, but numbers are not everything. Yep. Um, sharing people's lives, helping people, just to help them to stay on the straight and narrow, and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, that's that's what ministry is all about. It's just It's just... Letting yourself be a servant of the Lord, and so often what our what our young people are learning who are going to ministry is well, you've got to go for the bigger church and you've got to build a big church, and we need to realize that just simply serving the Lord it's it's it, it's nice to be nice, it's nice to 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 serve God wherever He puts you. 
whether it is in a small town, in a small church, or maybe he puts you somewhere where you can do much more evangelistically. But because you're doing more evangelistically, and I've always been an evangelist, and that's where, you know, I've gone, uh, does not mean that you're doing more than the guy who is ministering to this small group. When Brother Greg and I hold revivals, uh, we've, we've just actually admitted the fact <clears throat> that some churches where we go, and I'm, I'm not talking about Corning here because some are in, in, there's just nothing around, no population whatsoever, that they are dying. And in some of those cases, our revivals are just going to encourage them to keep on in their individual lives serving the Lord yes. and that we are basically holding the hands of our friends until they pass away. Yes. And uh, and there is a need for that. Yeah. There is a need for that and ministering to people in that way. Yeah. And I appreciate people like you who do that. Well, one of the last things I want, I want to mention, you know, since I mentioned earlier about my speech problem, um, it doesn't bother me to get in front of five people or 500 people or whatever. I remember it was right after I moved up here one of the, some of the kids down in Wiener, Arkansas, I, um, one of them came to church, but the rest of them in the car, they might have came to visit some. But anyhow, it was a tragic accident. Some, it was one, it was two girls and two boys in a car. They was playing with the shotgun, and the shotgun went off oh. and practically blew this one kid's face off. So, of course, he died instantly. And my kids knew the family very well. My son, you know, played played baseball with the, the gentleman that got killed, and we all went down there to visit the family and everything. And, and the and the family asked me to do the funeral. They they went to the Baptist church, so they had their Baptist minister, who I, I knew him very well, to do it too. And he was a he was a young young minister, and he was so nervous. He he was really emotional. He he just said, "I don't know how, and I don't know if I can do this now." And you have to understand, practically the whole town was at the funeral. They had to have it in the gymnasium, but he did his little part, and I, I did the main part of the, of the funeral. And it, it's just so amazing how God works in mysterious ways. He he used that tragic event. And I, I was taught many, many, many years ago in Bible college, if you don't know what to say in a funeral, preach Christ. Right. And that's basically what I did. And I, I preached Christ and, you know, there was, everybody in the place was crying. And, and I, I was shedding some tears too. But I was trying to give them some hope that they, because of this tragedy that had happened. And, and the reason I'm saying all, I'm, I'm closing with this is because... I don't think I would have ever done that if I would have taken that wrong folder to church that day. Yeah. But because of that, God said, Tim, you need to rely on me and not on yourself. And that my, my brother, that's a minister also, Dennis, he tells me I have the gift of gab. I said, whatever. But now sometimes you can't get me to shut up, as Tom can probably tell here. But uh been a wonderful time. I, I, I do not regret being in the ministry. Yes, I could have made more money doing other things, but money is not everything. And I thank the Lord Jesus for what he's done for me and my family. 
And I know what he's going to do. I just appreciate I love him so much. I love the ministry. I, I appreciate Tom and Beth and Greg and Lori. I, I've just got to know them the past few years. So it's just amazing what the Lord does, does through his people. Well, I appreciate you ending that on such a positive note. After all these years in ministry, some people don't have quite a positive attitude. But I, I believe that we need to thank God every day that he's called us to ministry. And uh, everyone is called to ministry, but specifically to the ministry that he has called us to. Yes. And I'm very grateful as you are. And certainly there's been some tough times. I wouldn't want to live through, it, live through them again, yep. but they have made us what we are today. Brother Tim. And uh, I thank you for your time with us. And we're going to have to close this down anyway, because we got to get upstairs. We got a revival service yes, to get did. to. Yes, uh, I hope that if this has been an encouragement to you uh, listeners, that you'll share this podcast with your friends and coworkers in Christ. And until next time, this is evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.